For April 24th, 2023, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 773. This is The Why. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your fanatically devoted sect members from the internet. Never happier, never happier than when we are contemplating the great teachings of Lao Tzu (laughs) and the Tao Te Ching. The way that can be named is not the true way. Uh, and, and, uh, that's, uh, you know, and, and so, uh, on this philosophy, on Taoist, our entire podcast tonight is going to be about Taoist philosophy. And, uh, we're going to go sort of se- chapter by chapter. It's organized into kind of sections, numbered sections. So we're going to go like chapter by chapter through the Tao Te Ching and talk about, uh, all the various, all the various aspects of it. We hope to, uh, wrap up this, you know, uh, for millennia of, um, spiritual teaching and practice and, and tradition. We think we can bring this in in a tight 45 minutes. So uh, let's dive in. I'm Matt Rather. <laughs> we're, we're here with our, our gurus, Pete Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. <laughs> and Mark Lee. Hey, Mark, how are you? I'm doing great. Now, now just to check, we all got our helmets on, right? Because I got my helmet on. Yeah, absolutely. We got we got our, okay, our, cool, Taoist, cool. our Taoist helmets on to, uh, <laughs> to, to contemplate the Tao. Um, Pete, you got your helmet on, right? Like, what, what are you talking about? I didn't get the memo about wearing a helmet. No, I have no, no helmet on. Well, Mark and I have helmets. We never take Wait. them off. I never Wait. put my helmet on. I Wait. only wear it sometimes when I need to protect my head from something. Oh, my goodness. Pete, I, this is not the TFT podcast, but we, I, I feel like I need to ask you a question, Pete. Okay. What is the way? Well, apparently the way is to alienate and troll our audience by saying the podcast <laughs> is about something other than what it's about, of course, because uh, this podcast is about season three of The Mandalorian. Like, you know, Pete, they, they've all seen the cover art already, right? <laughs> like, they've, they've all seen the title and the description in their in their podcatcher. Maybe, Pete, maybe, Pete, unlike you, I have a high opinion of our listeners, and I think they can <laughs> they can uh, roll at this level of uh, roll at this level of, yeah. of conceptual conceptual tomfoolery. No, Pete. What is the way? So, I think it's a good question. Well, first of all, the way is not Taoist because if it were more Taoist, it would involve being eaten by a crocodile, I think. <laughs> the world has put forward in season three of The Mandalorian. Spoilers for season three of The Mandalorian. We're going to talk a little bit about Andor, but we're going to do spoiler free for Andor. So, all, all, um, all, uh, all seasons, all books, including the book of Boba Fett. Yeah, the Book of Boba Fett, definitely spoilers for Book of Boba Fett, unfortunately, uh, because that means we have to talk about the plot elements of the Book of Boba Fett. There were good things <laughs> of the Book were. of Boba Fett. I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed, actually, I enjoyed, it was I a pastiche. Would- I would like the uh, I would like the just the the sort of almost like ethnographic uh, television show set in the world of the Sand People uh, without Boba Fett even intervening like that that show I would be I would be here for but I'm sorry I'm getting us I'm getting us Ra- Tuscan Raiders now okay that is the preferred terminology that that is the wait wait I thought that we don't uh, I thought that we don't refer to they don't identify as that. I thought they, I but thought yeah, they, to be fair, there are no Tuscan Raiders on this podcast to represent the community. So sorry, let's. But I, I'm getting us off the way, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Pete. What is what is the way? So the way, right? Is they say it all the time on the Mandalorian show. This is the way. This is the way. And this seems, Pete, to to use a phrase to borrow a phrase that you use a lot. This seems like an exercise in question begging. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, yes, it's a tautology, right? <laughs> right. Well, you would assume it's a tautology. Well, it's, a, it's a tautology, but it represents a falsehood. How so? Well, no, it's not because what is the? I suppose it's a tautology that 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 uh, uh, begs the question of actually what is being what is being uh, tautologically tautologically asserted. But the no, you know, the the number of things where it is asserted that this is the way. Surely some of them are not the way. That's that's what I mean. It's well, like okay. it's like saying so salt is, is salt. Well, there are also you know? multiple ways. There's so many kinds of salt. You know, but but there's... what is the way saying is probably worth talking about. And Pink. I'm not particularly interested in the sea lore salt. here. So uh, as in like, I'm sure there is a, a true way that has been articulated and discussed in Star Wars lore, meaning the credo of the Mandalorians, which we could, I'm sure, read about if we wanted to somewhere, Kosher like the rules salt. of acquisition of the Ferengi. Uh, but I don't think that at least the way it functions in the show generally, and particularly in the third season of the show, corresponds to a belief system uh, or creed, right? It's sort of listed bunch of rules that everybody has to follow. There are certain instances of that, but in a writ larger, uh, I mean, what is the truth value of the statement, this is the way, is uh, I agree with what you said based on information I had before we talked, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's right. I think, what this is the way means. It's like, I knew this thing. We have this conversation. I had either, I had a conversation before or I learned th- something before and I have previous information. And this thing that you're talking to me about now I'm agreeing with you're making a proposition and I'm agreeing with the proposition based on the information that I have before, which is I would not say strictly speaking must be shared information because there are exceptions to it. It's big ones in season three, but that in general is is a shared body of information. I'm speaking very generally because once you start narrowing it down, you bring so much baggage into what you're talking about, you know, heritage, nationality. Uh, religion, right? Like all of these things, you say you say these words, and you of course bring ideas that aren't even comprehensive for uh, the experience of them that we've had in our own lives, uh, but that can you know follow these follow these words through uh, popular, critical, and discursive context and their various reductive uses. Um, uh, so, let's not pretend that Mandalorian season three is the most robust or interesting season of the Mandalorian, but, but it's still pretty good. I I would say it's like fun to watch and it has parts that aspire to being better. But I think that ultimately it's really not prepared. It felt to me, I don't know if it felt this way to you guys, that the show was not prepared to deal with the truths that it actually wanted to, to say like the, not that the things that are sort of objectively true, but say like uh, the things that the show is communicating that the characters believe in the sort of themes of the show, the ideas behind the season of the show. It felt like the show was not willing to carry them forward to a conclusion and kind of circled, circled the drain a little bit. Or, or, uh, like not the, willing to, or maybe I would say like, just, just didn't fully flesh them out. Right. In particular, yeah. this notion of, of, of Mando as becoming a father, like that oh, well, wasn't yeah. the way earlier. Now that's the way. Well, so so okay, so so for example, I know that's that's right? a whole other thing, but maybe it's probably not the best place to start. But that's the biggest thing to jump. No, no, no. I, th- I think it's important because we could talk about the mechanics of it, right? So as I understand it, and per, and I'm I'm totally possible I get some of the details wrong, but in terms of what was dramatized on the show, we are introduced to a coming of age ritual wherein young foundlings. So these are this is a system. Okay, okay. So um, 
it's two things. I want, I want to say there's really two things that are happening uh, that I think are interesting. In addition to this idea that we have a shared heritage, we have a shared uh, we have a shared history, we have a shared literature, we have a shared religion. We have all this previous information as Mandalorians, uh, you know, as sort of space cowboy people wearing our metal metal armor and kind of practicing our our, uh, our sort of lost faith and whatnot uh, in the sort of um, you know, Boba, why is Boba Fett the only one of us? This is why, right? Um, we're, we're sort of retroactively trying to explain all this stuff. Wait, but, wait, th- this is the why? This is the why. Well, what is the why, I suppose, <laughs> is this is the way. Um, but there is a, there's a, there's a, an ethos. There is, there is an, uh, the word I want to use and talk about a lot is honor. And honor, I think, is very associated with the way that Mandalorians function. And but of course, honor can be a whole bunch of things. Honor can be keeping your word. Honor can be, you know, bowing or not bowing at the right time. Honor can be insisting that somebody do menial labor where their boss doesn't. Like honor can mean a whole bunch of things. Uh, but but the the idea that you have an honor system here, where people have social convention that has a sort of baked in promise. That requires them to do special things in special situations um, or mundane situations. Right, uh, it is like a real driving force in the parts of the season that I think are good and interesting. The places where the gears really grip the other gears, and one of those places is the ethos around what to do with orphans. Right, right, because the Mandalorians are a society that grew up in and around, as, as we understand on the show. Uh, inter- interstellar war, right? Like, like it's sort of assumed that this society is engaged in vast interstellar wars, <laughs> and uh, and one of the things that happens when you have vast interstellar wars is you have you know aerial bombardments that destroy entire civilizations, and then you have orphans that are kind of running around, right? right. And so you have this ethos that the Mandalorians both replenish their numbers and also uh, commit an act of kindness and mercy, right, uh, by taking in these orphans. Um, uh, the foundlings and and raising them as their own and bringing them into their society and culture uh, and indoctrinating them to becoming child soldiers. Well, it doesn't. Yes, not, it doesn't well, that, seem like you have to. Right. It, seem, it actually seems like there is a. You see it that there's a ritual now. Maybe there's so much social pressure to participate in the ritual that it's really not an actual choice. You know where the rubber hits meets the road. But um, uh, you you get the sense that like the help is offered until adulthood or until coming of age, right? Like without the expectation that you necessarily need to like don the helmet, but that you can you can don the helmet uh, right. if you want to. Right, 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 right. So there's a there's a coming of age point where like you can train to be a Mandalorian when you're younger than that. Well, be a Mandalorian. You can you can train engage in their sort of martial jetpack practice, right? Like just like yes, <laughs> the other side of the uh, the other side of the Tao, right? Is the uh, it's, is, what it's like? Te- it's like a techne and philosophia, right? It's like yeah, yeah, the, yeah, you know. yeah. It's it's like well, it's like Zen and Bushido, right? It's like uh, it's like. Um, it's like uh, I'm trying to think of the of the alternative, what you would refer to it with regards to like kung fu, right? If this was a, because it's a, it's an organism, and I don't mean that in a sort of like cool fighty sense. I mean like this is a like cultural, social, or religious organization that is very famous for very theatrical, martial things that it does that look in a very distinct way. But and also, so draw yeah, a lot of attention. it's sort of. I mean, I'm you know I'm far from an expert uh, on this, but the the like my understanding is that like we think of kung fu as like you know punchy kicky stuff, but kung fu is actually the process of like learning as an apprentice from a master who's called a sifu, right? right. And 
and that like there's this there's this kind of one on one mentorship relationship that's encoded in the like the martial practice of what we call kung fu, and which I think in you know in the cultures where these practices actually you know kind of lives is called a whole bunch of other things which I don't know, but but that like this it's actually a really good. Uh, it's actually a really good example that you, you know, that you've brought up the, the, the kind of the, you know, the, the kung fu of the kung, the kung fu of, of like, uh, jetpack, uh, clotheslining, right? That they do. And then, but then, but then also the kind of the, the kung fu of, uh, kind of corporeal works of mercy as regards, you know, uh, the, the one uh, unlimited renewable resource in the universe, which is, you know, Orfit War orphans interstellar war orphans right and that's uh that's that's really that's interesting before we too much turn the page on this i want i want to kind of gloss on this is the way in in what you've said because pete i think i can say what you've been saying in 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 slightly different words in a way that that might illuminate uh what what we've been talking about we I have think, like 800 episodes that demonstrate you can do this so you, go for it you got a uh, you got pink himalayan salt you got um the uh the way right is both both a, an immediate course of action, like what's you know what's the way to work, you know what's the what's the uh, the way that we're going to walk or something like that. But the way is also like the way, you know, it's a it's an ideal path or a you know like like uh, like in Taoism, you know, it's the way, right? The, the the way that can be named is not the true way, and that's um and and so there's there's kind of a notional way and there's an actual, there's a practical way, and when we're saying kind of this is the way, it's almost always said at points where it's like oh. God, guys, we got to eat the frog here. Like we got to, we got to like take in these orphans. We got to raise them as our own, you know, or we got to like go to the planet and like go on a mission where we're all going to die and do something like we got to go, you know, and, th- and this is the, uh, and this is the moment at which the phrase, this is the way, uh, is invoked. And it's kind of like a call and response as though it's, it's, uh, it's a sort of reminder, not just a reminder that that we have a shared history that we have a shared understanding of like what's good in the world but a reminder of the, uh, that it's a moment where you have to kind of meld the pre- you have to kind of bend the practical way right to the to the ideal way and the whole mandalorian thing is the forge right is the is the armor um the the like the the refining of metal and the the kind of the forging it into into armor the the sort of um <laughs> really slow clang 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 process of you know taking these raw elements taking the kind of the practical stuff and bending it into a, a suit of armor bending it into an ideal form and this is you know in uh, so too kind of in the you know philosophically do we bend our behavior as mandalorians right to the to the ideal way and when we say this is the way like uh what what we're really saying is like uh, yo, you know, get your ish right. Uh, and, and that like, we actually have to, you know, this, this is something that we kind of commit to as a, this is, this is our yoga. You know, this is something that we commit to as the yoga of Mandalorian, uh, uh, the yoga of Mandalorian, um, you know, take, taking on a, a, a heavy burden uh, in the name of kind of, uh, living, li- uh, bending our, bending our, uh, bending our path. Um, a little more towards our our ideal way. Anyway, I think I mean I I think the kind of the two ways you can read way is is an important thing in the um in the show, and that that I think it rhymes with this. This was my sense of it, and I think it really rhymes with yours, Pete. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah. So so I think that makes sense. So to ring the changes, not the ring of changes, to hash out that sequence of events we were talking about. So you can get a foundling, yep. and at some point the foundling gets to a certain point where they can go through a rite of passage and become a fully committed member of the Mandalorian martial spiritual community, right? Not spiritual, but kind of social religious community. And you put on the mask and you commit to doing these sorts of dutiful and honorable things that that being a Mandalorian requires you to dermatological, dermatologically challenged community because, Oh my God, only eat soup through a straw. Like how do they, I forget how they eat. Um, You go, you go, you go by yourself. You go, you go find a little corner. Yeah. By the way, at the risk of opening up a a whole other tangent here, right? Like there's a lot uh, going on with the Mandalorian culture that is parallel to that of Judaism. Right. So um, like, you know, the, the foundling we see um, the one that's about to get eaten by the shark, that was nearly eaten by the shark. Um, like it's, it's bar mitzvah, isn't it? Right. Mm-hmm. Like there's a certain aspect of like coming of age, and like if I'm reading this, understanding this correctly, like they have there's some level of taking agency, right, and saying that yes, I am affirmatively committing to this rather than just like being dragged along by my parents and my foster or slash foster parents. Is that fair to say? Um, I mean, well, yeah, I, I, sure. I'm, I don't I'm know. probably I don't overstating know. I would... how what what the bar mitzvah functions I, I in don't... Jewish culture, but I don't there's, know there's, in... there's a there there. I don't know enough, not just about bar mitzvahs, but other coming of age cer- ceremonies to suggest that this is like an especially bar mitzvah one. But the fact that the Mandalorians are diaspora that exist in an orthodox and reformed sect mm-hmm. and that this season is about them kind of moving back into the place where they used to live. Uh, it, it kind of that in of itself, you know, has a lot. It seems yeah, to it's suggest just, there's a lot going on with the history of Judaism. And one other thing there, like I, I, I'm completely borrowing this from a screen crush uh, YouTube uh, yeah. recap that I saw. But like one certain sect of uh, orthodox Judaism refers to it's uh set of beliefs as yeah you guessed it the way so right. there's that as well i mean not that surprising right there's talk there's many ways oh for sure for sure for sure that makes sense i mean that's that's definitely cool the um so to, to finish that up you can come of age right but in order to come of age and adopt these obligations you have to be able to say an oath right yeah. and early in the season grogu is spared this change and I think the idea is that, you know, he can't wear the helmet yet or he's not – he sort of wants to be protected because he seems so young and, and you don't want to force him to kind of adopt this – This uh, you don't even really know who he is. And you don't want to really have him commit to this culture. Uh, and so we, they use the excuse that he can't talk and so he can't say the oath, right? So he gets to continue to live as a foundling for a little bit. And then at the end, he he gets in, in – in, uh, in, in, not indicted, he gets in, not induced, um, but he gets inducted, I suppose, um, into this into this community. But he still can't say the oath, and so it, this is the part that he didn't quite get, which was that what he was able to become a Mandalorian by being adopted by Din Djarin rather than by saying the oath to join. So he doesn't convert to Mandalorianism; he becomes a Mandalorian by birth through adoption. Well, there's uh, is another, that what happens at the end of the season? There's a couple other things I think that were going on, which is that you know he proved himself in combat, like he literally right. saved uh, Mando's life, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, um, probably mechanically assisted and also force assisted, but all the same, like he did the he he, he did the deed. Um, the other thing is that you know, in terms of being able to speak, I mean, he kind of can now, right? By which I mean, of course, yes, 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 right, yes. right. He uses yes. the text. He uses a button to speech device. He can talk with an aid. 
He has he has a speech disability, or like he's he's like he's, he has accommodation. <laughs> slow, Look, slow an onset. Assassin low, droid late, is a reasonable onset. accommodation for. <laughs> right, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they spoke to HR yeah. and they got a reasonable accommodation. Signed over. <laughs> late late onset of speech is normal for Yoda. The Yoda people. Does the Yoda race have a name? No. Or do we, we no. call them the Yoda race? Yes. Got it. Yep. We'll see how that sticks. Maybe stuff like that will come along the way. The way, but uh, but that's that's the example. Of what I mean, I don't. When Din Djarin adopting Grogu seems to me like an unsatisfactory conclusion to that storyline, in much the same way that Bo Katan saying Mandalorians are stronger together is a solution to <laughs> her kind of ecumenical, you know, faith journey. In this, in this yeah. uh, also Bo Katan for president, twenty sixteen. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it seemed a little bit. It seemed a little bit milk toast, you know. It seemed a little bit weak. Um, it seemed a little bit not the the level on which Bo-Katan was operating earlier in the season. It seemed a little pat, you know. Like it's a little. It's just all a little bit. You know, it's a little bit pat. Yeah, none, little, none um, of the. A lot of the big transitions don't. Even though, like maybe the last the last episode or two had some like good action in it. Like a lot of the transitions at the lo- the, the changes at the level of theme don't don't seem to be. Truly earned, right? They 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 seem to be kind of like gestured at or kind of gone gone through the motions of, but not, you know, not truly not truly earned. Like I don't know more. There was more uh, effort put into like beating, you know, the fight with Moff Gideon than really thinking about. What is the nature? How what, you know? Bo-Katan is like sad Bo-Katan on her sad Bo-Katan planet, uh, and then like is you know gets uh, is happy Bo-Katan, and then you know I don't know like uh, what the, exactly what happens like what what does it is not yeah is not is not totally um, is not totally thought through. Though those are those are by no means the toastiest online criticisms oh, no. of of you know Mandalorian season. Three, it really kind of reached an apex or a nadir. The criticism reached an apex, I should say, with uh, the visit to planet Jack Black, uh, ruled by <laughs> ruled by Queen Lizzo. You know, and that like I feel like um, you know. I, I, w- which I thought was delightful, you know, and that, uh, that like, uh, evil Doc Brown was uh, anti robots, but like, I, I don't know. I thought that, uh, um, I thought it was, uh, I, I mean, I, 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 en- I enjoyed it, but it, it was not, uh, particularly well received, at least in, in the people who make a lot of noise on the internet, right? I have some thoughts here. Let me, let me, let me get in. Um, first, like, I, um, I'm somewhat sympathetic with the criticisms there. I mean, like, you know, vitriol is not deserving of vitriol at all. Um, but like, okay, expectations in terms of this show um, range well, very widely, right? You know, like there was plenty of just kind of mission of the week sort of thing um, early on. And I, if I recall correctly, people were happy about that. You know, it wasn't so laden down with lore. Um, by the end of season two, they were a little bit too successful in terms of like the larger art uh, plot arch with the Jedi and, and, and Luke and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then also, um, I'm gonna drop the A bomb here. Andor, right? Andor comes along and like drastically raises the bar for Star Wars storytelling. Um, and so now we're kind of stuck in the situation where um, expectations are really high, but you also have a show format that is supposed to allow for mission of the week um so it it, it is really set up uh, uh b- because it's the internet and people are perpetually unhappy and you can't please everyone um so that everyone's gonna be mad about things all that said um if you think about 
the episode episode six, Planet Lizzo, Planet Jet Black, um, as you know, okay, fine, it's a side quest. They're allowed to have side quests, but then you think about it as a Law and Order episode, which it very much was, right? In terms of like you know, uh, being assigned a crime to solve, searching around for clues, cracking skulls, good cop, bad cop routine, that sort of thing. It, it wasn't that good even at that level, though, right? I mean, like you know, like the the, the it was it was the the solution was too easy to come by. There's you know, it was a pretty weak confrontation with Doc Brown. It was also kind end. of on on rails as a mystery. Like you want to see some that, seeds yeah. of see, you want to see some seeds of the answer in the beginning. And I suppose if you go back, maybe Doc Brown like let slip something. Maybe like he uh, I don't know hit his computer console a little too hard, and like he was you know oh he hates the robots anyway. But uh, yeah, okay. Um, I feel uh, yeah, I feel yeah. It wasn't wasn't a great procedural, is what you're saying. And so, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a great procedural. Like, you know, so yeah. go ahead, Pete. But just that I think it's pulled its punches, like a lot of what I'm talking about. I think that I think that it it had a much it felt like it had a harsher ending than the Christopher Lloyd ending, wherein Lizzo or Jack Black was in some way culpable for what was happening. Um, because there was a uh, because this was a episode that was about the decadence of republicanism. Uh, not democracy per se, because it talks a lot about democracy. But it was really about republicanism. It was really about the idea that the representatives of a civic body of people, when gathered together, you know, it can serve as the sovereign of the people in an elevated way, you know, morally elevated, representational, right, that they can make you sound judgment. Uh, what Montesquieu would refer to them as having virtue, right, that the necessary the necessary positive quality of republic is virtue and that. Uh, the, this this republic had become an oligarchy because the people in charge of it were super decadent and were doing everything for their own interests. And and then and, and then we find out that one of them is from the empire, and that's the sort of misdirection, right? It's like, well, he's not really the one doing this. Okay, well, why? Like, what does that mean? Who is he really? Like, if there's supposed to be a twist that Jack Black isn't responsible for this, even though he's an imperial remnant. Uh, is it just being set up for a future season or is it that like there really is something to be said here for, you know, the enemy? What are the enemies? Really, what are the enemies in, when you're talking about saving what's good about a culture and, and a system and, an, and, a, and, a, and a system of people and an institution uh, of people culturally, socially, uh, you know, governmentally working together, which is like that's like the whole Mandalorian question for the whole season. It's like, OK, the Mandalorians were this. And it's they were several different things. None of those things are working. What are they going to be in the future? And then they take a stop and they take a light joke and they're like, hey, what if what if we talked instead about democracy? You know, like what if we talked instead about like the sort of rich oligarchs that run decadent, lazy democracies, right? Like uh, where the toiling classes go on, you know, without recognition or or uh, or, or, or or interest uh, from the governing classes. And like, why don't we? You know, what, what's up with that? And, and it, it ends up being just sort of a joke about it becomes like a sort of John Voight for Mission Impossible joke, I guess, about like I was in the war and like I can't tolerate that we don't have a war anymore. Was that sort of what was I don't even remember why Christopher Lloyd even did it. Um, but, yeah, it just it felt like in retrospect, looking at the season as a whole, it feels like that episode could have hit pretty good. If it yeah. were just a little bit braver and also if the if the themes of the show were just connecting, like the themes from the first third of the show were connecting a little bit better with the back half of the show in and terms of like whole, what you're coming around on. And, and then there's the whole aspect of droid civil rights, um, which, which is, is which is I mean, it's nice, but it's kind of silly in this context. But yeah, like 
Sorry, go ahead. I, I, it is it is silly in the context, but um, you know, questions of droids and agency, like you know, have started to pop up much more so in Star Wars as of late, right? Go back to the the um, the Han Solo movie. Um, with you know Lando's love interest robot that was sentient and now part of the Millennium Falcon apparently, um, you have that, and then of course you have the the IG assassin robot um, going all the way back to season one of this show, right? Yeah. Um, and then it's kind of uh, oddly resurrected, um, and and then the the, the R five uh, psychic droid uh, that really saves the day in, in the last episode. Um, you know, droids are important have been an important part of the Mando story. Um, it, you know, it starts to uh, get at some tricky questions about what they are owed and kind of what are their place in society and all that kind of stuff. But Star Wars has, has just has never been able to figure out a way to really do that. Um, you know, I also go back to 3PO's supposed death and rise of Skywalker again, just like, I'm, you know, you don't need, need to throw any more examples out there. Um, but yeah. like it's it started to lurch in that direction and just realized like, oh, I guess I, I can't really do that. And moved on. Well, the droids don't have any pathos. Like the only droid I can think of that fits that kind of story is the one from Rogue One. <laughs> where he's like kind of depressed mm, all the time yeah. and like but like it feels like they feel like they look at the facts on the board and they're like this is a story we should want to tell but it, to make sense for the story the characters have to be involved in a way that this matters to them and i'm not saying that in this world there wouldn't be an argument about droid civil rights but like the droids are really often you know played for comic effects and uh and i mean it, it feels like the Ferengi civil rights episodes from Deep Space Nine come to mind where it's like, you know, they, they did episodes about civil rights and like and they did. But it wasn't on the level of like uh, of, of seriousness of the other stuff. It was it was it was a sort of farcical social, you know, it was a social um, satire. Right. Um, it wasn't farcical. It was satirical. And I, and I mean, you could do a satirical piece about the droids demanding civil rights, but I don't think you want to go there because. Yeah. I mean, what is it? The beeping of R2-D2, a lot of it is about ch- children, I think. I think a lot of it is like, the beep boop boop I'm walking around, I'm a fun robot. It's like, it's really operating from a, like a childlike place. And it's hard to, you would need something else. You would definitely need some sort of new character or like new vibe to bring that into an adult sphere uh, in that way. Um, just the storytelling. It's like, it's like the story wasn't set up for that to be what it was about. Um, you know, um, in my, in, in my, not that, not yeah. that I shouldn't get uppity, you know, I shouldn't be agitated about yeah. it. But like, and, and like, I, I am, I am very okay and comfortable with Star Wars being lots of different things and having di- many different story, ty- story types, uh, telling, but like, you know, there's comes a limit where within one, uh, season of one series of like how far you can stretch and you can yeah, see like how, how many different things. stories can you tell in the same <laughs> or style same so season. Yeah. if you're a book of Boba so, Fett you just do different one every episode oh, it's geez. great yeah uh no but, I shouldn't gnash it it was fun but Pete you I want to take things in another direction um because you started to talk about like you know the 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 central conceit if there was one of this season was like you know this these kind of you know meditations are what is the way right how do we as a group of people come together, agree upon things and organize their society and determine like what's in and what's out. And then you touched upon the fact that one of the, the Jack Black character was an imperial, a former Imperial. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's this, you know, what is the way, right? Does the way include allowing, um, former Imperials to rehabilitate and join our society? Right. Yeah. So yeah, then that which, would also yeah. go to the other episode, which I think was criticized as well for being very kind of, um, uh, too tangential and, uh, too much of a distraction. Right. The Dr. Pershing I thought that episode, episode was great. That episode was, was it, awesome. It, I, it was interesting. I think I, I'm I'm happier to uh, I'm glad I'm, I'm I would prefer to have it than not have it. Let's put it that way. And I, you know, and for the the broad thematic reason we just described, right? Like you know, 
we could talk separately structurally about storytelling and how you know this interrupted the flow um, uh, of the broader season, um, but that would require them to flow to begin with, I suppose. Um, so yeah, let's talk about that, right? Like, what are we supposed to take from that other than, um, oh, you know, poor Doctor Pershing got his brainwashed and like something, something, something. Palpatine returned. <laughs> uh, well, I guess the first thing you're supposed to take from it is that you can't dictate what people use as their social ritual and you can't divorce entirely social ritual and social memory from the functioning of social organization and up into and including the use of force or the the uh the execution of government right so the the idea is that like uh the mandalorians they have all of these weird customs but one of the ultimate results of the customs is that when somebody is in trouble, they're able to get a group of people together to go and, and and help those people. And if they didn't have the customs, they might not be able to do it. And it's a very uncomfortable idea for, I think, uh, at least I would say contemporary American society. The idea that you have to have some sort of shared, agreed upon idea of like what you're doing in, in that like goes beyond just like the calculation of the value of what you're doing. Like you have to have like you have to have little things, you know, you have to have uh, you have to, you know, have the the social, the the, the all the, the baseball is America kind of nonsense. Yeah. It's not like, nonsense, we all got together like, at the, for the Fourth of July parade. Therefore, like I as a fireman will go and like, you know, save your burning house. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and we can, you know, and maybe that's important. Maybe it isn't. You know, maybe you don't have firefighters if you don't have firefighters in parades that little kids look at and the big trucks with the big sirens. Maybe that's maybe that's really important. And we don't know. Um, and and I think, but I think the idea is is a lot of the and the, and then of course there is the question of pluralism, which the the season very directly addresses, where you have people who have different uh, different sorts of social rituals, and can they can they actually come together and form a pluralistic society? Which they say yes, uh, and they and they show them doing it. But I just wish that they had taken a couple more steps. But in this just case, un- unpack you unpack all that stuff. There, like what's going on with the new republic society and these former imperials that fits into. Uh, Okay, so I guess the, the first the, the analogy is what's happening with Bo-Katan and the other Mandalorians, which is mm-hmm. like Bo-Katan was in charge of the remainders of the Mandalorians because her her family she was a, she was a hereditary ruler, and she lost the dark saber in single combat. Whatever we don't see that in the show, so I don't think we're it doesn't really register as that dramatically important for the show. The point being that like she is somebody who by virtue of privilege and position, sort of traditional position, was supposed to be in charge of the Mandalorians, but she wasn't really doing anything that that was very Mandalorian-ish. And eventually everybody just left and they were like, you know, screw this, I'm leaving. And this plunged her into a deep depression and she went back to her roots, right? Sort of by coincidence, by committing sort of acts of valor, she arranged, she found herself in this sort of old school, traditional setting whereby connecting with cultural ritual and tradition, uh, even iconography, right? You know, even like you know, uh, even like animism. You know, like she was able to find a new sense of purpose, and then it's supposed to be the combination of her sense of purpose and then whatever skill she had that allowed her to function in that other society that made her the unique person, the sort of essential person, the Simone Bolivar, right? Who is both. You know, Simone Bolivar is both a, you know, a, a, an aristocrat from a Peninsular family who, you know, is able to function, you know, in a very in very high high society and is able to speak about constitutions and write government with with, uh, you know, but he also can, you know, beat a gaucho in a horse jumping contest. 
right? And he goes out with the dudes and he like runs around on horseback all the time. And 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 uh, everybody respects how much Simone Bolivar really like gets gets down, you know, and like uh, gets in the fight, and especially with horseback. So so there's this sense that he's a person from two worlds, and that makes him sort of the quote unquote indispensable man. They never show Bo-Katan's skill set with people who have their faces off, their masks off, right? Other than just beating them in fights, which I think one of the problems that that they the sort of coming together of Mandalorians have is that she doesn't show the soft skills necessary to lead the reform Mandalorians. Uh, and her name doesn't really matter that much. Now, if you go back to then the Imperials and the New Republic, the New Republic is supposed to be in charge of the whole galaxy because the Old Republic was in charge of the whole galaxy. And the New Republic is supposed to be the restoration of the Old Republic. Of course, it isn't in a lot of material ways, because as you recall, uh, the emperor abolished the Senate. Uh, you can read more on overthinking about that if you want to know about the implications of that, because he had this very because because people thought he had this idea that he was going to rule the galaxy through intimidation. But really, he was a crazy evil wizard. and He did a bunch of crazy things. Uh, but the point being that, like, the new republic has been gutted by both the, in, the deliberately incompetent administration of Palpatine and also uh, just by the virtue of being uh, there being huge wars, right, and 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 not being able to establish a monopoly of force everywhere, and so this is sort of seen as a failure of the new republic to be what it's supposed to be, um, and and uh, and then there's also this idea that the the imperials who are brought back into the fold are going to be reintegrated into society, and the way that this is going to happen is they literally erase their names, they erase their histories, right? They don't let them eat food that they used to like to eat. They ban everything about the space them. Space crackers, yeah. Yeah, with the results that space they end up very – what's up? The space crackers were important to them. Yeah, the space crackers turn out to be important. Now, granted, these are not things that are universally uh, you know, agreed upon as good ideas, right? Like maybe you should prevent the Nazis from fly, flying Nazi flags from their houses if you give them asylum in your country, right? Like, like there should be some sort of expectation. But this show casts that in the extreme, and I think – Part of why they cast it in the extreme is they're trying to show that the New Republic doesn't really know what it stands for other than kind of tr- being the sort of being the thing. You know, like there's not Tim Meadows isn't really capable of making a moral decision as the administrator of the New Republic, like outer rim, whatever it is yeah. that he's doing. Just um, paperwork. Yeah. And so so he has the sort of mechanisms of government. He has the sort of technology, the relationships, the institutions exist, but the New Republic, and then of course there's the little scene with the senators and how they're very obviously corrupt, um, and and not not just corrupt. I hate using the word corrupt when referring to like, um, you know, uh, you know, all, there's all sorts of arrangements where people benefit financially from being in charge of the government. Uh, corrupt is kind of a, a, a lazy way of of summing them all up as the same thing. But they are definitely not committed to any sort of principle that's associated with like Princess Leia. Right. Like who's supposed to be, as far as we know, like the face of the of the New Republic to us, uh, the watch of the viewers of the show. It's like that that the New Republic is Team Skywalker, team, not Team Skywalker, but like Team Princess Leia. Right. To an extent, Team Han Solo. Yeah. Mon Moth was in charge of it and all that stuff. But like these are the good guys. They're supposed to have good guy concepts. And so we find out that they don't really have good guy concepts. But of course they don't, because they're uh, they're a huge complicated society and and they haven't really locked all this stuff down nor should it be expected that they will be capable of doing it um but but the idea is that um the the imperial remnants then in the absence of a compelling other thing to do right instead of being like well yeah we're just be part of the thing right 
like there are people in the New Republic who are part of the thing just because it's like the mechanism by which the various planets exchange trade, you know, and and logistical support, which is super important. Don't get me wrong. And then there's people who are part of the New Republic because they are on Team Princess Leia, such as like the pilot guy. Right. Like he's on team Princess Leia. You know, he is in a orange jumpsuit flying an X-wing. He comes to the rescue of people in trouble. He rides the outer rim, you know, searching for orphans to like, you know, have bring balance to the force. Like he does all the stuff. He's not he afraid to use it. violence for a righteous cause. Well, yes, exactly. And that's part of it is is that he's uh, he's a sheriff. Right. He's a gunfighter. He's he's somebody who brings law to the lawless. But in this case, you know, there's like a bunch of principles about who deserves it, who's supposed to get it. And so the New Republic is not being run by guys like that who have principles. It's, you know, who uh, nor could it be, you know, um, it's being run by the old decadent oligarchy um, and also some people who are, I'm sure, trying their best. Uh, but but like, more important a, a than really that, yeah. like tangible outcome of that is like um, robot therapy for the former yeah. imperial. <laughs> yes. You're going through the motions of what's the most important thing. in a ther- Matt, what's the most important thing in a therapeutic relationship? It's Between a therapist. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I mean, a Kleenex. No, sorry. I was going to say insurance, but no. It's the, <laughs> the most important thing in a therapeutic relationship Time, between timing. a therapist. I mean, I would say rapport, right? Like therapy doesn't work if there's not rapport yeah, it's between the, the therapist and the patient. It's the relationship or the, the yeah. kind of positive positive transference. And that that that's something that's studied and I think like is more determinative of good outcomes than like the school of thought or even like what you talk about. Like the sense that you're talking with someone who actually cares about you. Yeah, I think there's a widespread belief that that stuff is just expensive and not useful, but there's a lot of research to suggest it's incredibly useful and important. So like, it's like, Oh yeah. Hey, call this number and talk to a therapist for 15 minutes. It could be anyone like you'll manage your stress better. And it's like, well, maybe it's better than nothing, but that's not really how this works. Like going to robot therapy isn't how this works. Um, and so you follow the story of a, a person who really legitimately seems to want to try and is just not given, uh, you know, a, a, a way to participate in society, you know, yeah. like a, he doesn't give he's even given the way. That's what he doesn't have. He doesn't have the way. Um, and, and he can't say this is the way to anybody because he doesn't have one anymore. Um, yeah, fact, right. Exactly. And yeah. what his what his way was is, you know, uh, is no longer no longer it. And and what is it is uh, is strange and scary. It'll happen to you. <laughs> it wasn't even his way when he was doing it before, because that's not how the empire worked. And then, of course, his friends who say they're going to be his friends, you know, fry his brain, presumably to force him into, you know, slavery so that he could continue to pump out clones without questioning anything. It was very right? ambiguous. Like, yeah, what, yeah. He might she, took like, him, she took him off like the table, right? Yeah, that thought, was the impression that I got. Yeah, that he was just supposed to not be a non-factor, right? And like, oh, okay. she just took him off the table. I don't know. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not nearly the Star Wars uh, extended universe. I, I mean, I guess it's the main Whatever. universe. Yeah, S S W C U, uh, you know, fan that that uh, you seem to be, or Mark, I know you, I know you are. So like, I kind of the the big sweep of this, you know, between. Uh, uh, Return of the Jedi and, um, you know, The Force Awakens is, is kind of obscure to me and what's, what's happening. I, I understand it's, there's it's not you, Matt. It's very, yeah, it's, it's extremely convoluted. Oh, got <laughs> it. There's, there's a Thrawn. I'm given to understand that. Well, those that, are good books. I read those books back in the day and those are good books. It's, it's a great, it's not the, it's, it's not the same Thrawn, but the similar idea. Oh, got it's, it. Okay. It's a very Harold Bloom thing, Matt, huh. where like, where 
the parts of all all when you go through well, all could, the canon, now you're speaking my language pete yeah. God, i only care about books that no one actually cares about you know that's, <laughs> that's i mean my my, that's my opinion my of star wars canon is that it operates in a very harold bloom sort of way uh-huh. in the sense that you can say well we acquired this intellectual property asset and we created this character who's an intellectual property asset and there's a whole bunch of that and you can argue about like which of it is true or not in this world but none of that matters what really matters are what are the sort of powerful creative acts of literary genius right like like what and i mean that in a, in the in a sort of half joking sense but half not like what are the star wars stories that are actually like worth it and what are the ones that command people's attention? What are the characters that kind of step forward as being really interesting or compelling? Uh, and where, what works do they come from? You know, and I think that I think that's the I think that's the reality that Star Wars, you know, is that's not what Star Wars canon is in, in, in the sort of everyday discussion. But I think especially looking at all the stuff that's been put together, like how come and one of the reasons Andor feels a lot like Star Wars is like it's a strong piece. It's good, right? Like and like it <laughs> rises. It's it's a strong misreading of the things. It's a misreading of. It's an attempt to sort of surpass as well as participate in this tradition. It mm. comes with knowledge of the tradition, right? Like which is yeah. different from hey, did you know Boba Fett actually survived inside the Sarlacc for all that time? Well, how? Let's talk about it, right? right? Retcon, like retcon, you know, lore, lore, lore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is fine. Now back in the day, we didn't have a lot of that, so it was really special. You know, it was like what? Well, I like this guy, and now he's gone, and I never get to see anything about him all i get to do is watch return of the jedi and vhs 15 times and now there's a book that tells me what happened to him that's cool that that was rare and precious and special i don't want to discount that but like now anybody can write it which is great but like it's not important you know what's important are what are the big stories that really stick with people what are the characters that really make a difference and i yeah, think you can so see you're saying so so what i hear you saying is that like uh I don't know that that what the, the Mandalorian is uh, fantastic beasts and where to find them at least in in terms of its like <laughs> p- position to Star Wars canon as the other is vis a vis to the what is now being retconned as the Wizarding World canon. I mean, I, you know, you sort of and 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 like uh, a strong misreading is something that does not necessarily like bring everything back to the you know to the kind of the blessed trilogy, the blessed trinity. Yeah. You know, of uh, of, the the Mandalorian is like Fast Five or Tokyo Drift or something. uh (laughs) Like it's it's like it's a good one, but but at this point, it's like wait a minute, this story is very different than the story I was watching before, right? Like uh, like what's going on? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's like Fantastic Beasts, but that that's only because Fantastic Beasts is itself so many things. Um, But yes, the point being that Thrawn is from a book series that is one of the big, as far as I'm concerned, like major works of star wars you know like like that in terms of it's it's not necessarily if you were to go back and read it you'd be like wow these books are really super duper well written i think they're probably well written but these are the timothy zahn books i believe um and uh that that thrawn comes from um the, the heir to the empire trilogy yeah. i think is what it's called and, and so i'm I given to understand yeah. from my star wars video game group that the books still do hold up like yeah. you know reading in the 2020s as an adult you know as compared to reading them in the 90s as a kid yeah. Um, but yeah. So yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff about Thrawn, and none of it really has risen so far to the level of that original, you know, that Thrawn trilogy. Just because, like, what he was doing in that point was a pretty intense, you know, attempt at an addition to Star Wars. Um, I mean, of course, I also haven't watched Rebels, so I'm sure he does cool stuff and all that stuff. But like, people are psyched for Thrawn. I think 
or like the idea that people are supposed to be psyched for Thrawn comes from him being a major player in like a past great work of Star Wars in much the same way that people were excited about Ahsoka Tano, who's also a major character from a major work of Star Wars, right? Like, um, it was a very strong addition to, uh, to the Star Wars literary tradition over time. Uh, and, and so recalling her feels like coming home, even if she isn't really from the original stuff. Yeah. Um, so just look at this step back for a second here. Like Star sorry. Wars lore is in a very weird spot right now. Yes. yes where yes. it's trying to proceed forward along the lines we just talked about. Right. Um, you know, Thrawn is a new, uh, new, but old, but new big bad. And yeah. so Katano and these other heroes are again, also old, but new. And there's like, you know, enough, uh, white space to tell, uh, really compelling stories with high stakes in them. Also, that being said, Disney, has blocked themselves in with the lackluster sequel trilogy and the aforementioned somehow Palpatine returned and is desperately trying <laughs> to tie Why? up so many loose ends. Why? With the cloning, Just say they didn't with the cloning have and, and the M count and, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. And um, and and you can just, just let it feel go. them struggling so hard to try to just yeah. accomplish all of these things. It is really kind of a shame <laughs> because if you go yeah. back again to Mando seasons one and two, uh, some really stellar standalone stories or even like the, the main baby Yoda story is like largely unencumbered from that. Right. You know, like, okay. You're like, yes, it's, you know, fine. It's, it's all good that, you know, baby Yoda's midichlorians will somehow um, tie into Palpatine uh, coming back from the dead, this, that, and the other, but like, you know, put all that aside and like, you know, just the, the, the core story between, you know, a, a bounty hunter, his adopted son, and um, you know, a, a long lost space wizard making a triumphant return, like um, that was really solid stuff, and it didn't need the rest of the the window trimming like we're talking about here. I think Moff Gideon was a net negative this season. I don't think Moff Gideon. You think so? I did not. Li- I mean, I love, I love um, Giancarlo uh, Esposito. Yeah, I was like, it's not. His name isn't Gus. It's <laughs> <laughs> not Gus. <laughs> Gus is a basset hound. Um, but I, I mean, I love him and he's great, but like, I, it just, it just really felt like a step backwards to be dealing with him again. Um, it felt like the pirate, the pirate kingdom, like what, what could lead it? What, what is that idea? It's so exciting. It leads to the unknown. Who's in charge of like the pirate nation, right? Like there, we were, do you remember that? We were teased with the idea that there was an entire interstellar nation of pirates, like, Sort of like like One Piece land where where like everything is just pirate 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 everything, um, and uh, and and we met one of them who was sort of like Pizza the Hut from Spaceballs made out of oh, moss. Was, yeah, I was going to say Swamp Thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, oh man, and and then oh, he's he's the sort of tip of the spear of this like new bad thing. And then oh no, it's just the guy from the first season again, and we don't even see any of those people, and we're just like, hey, they they were a front, and we need to know. Eh. You know, I want to what's happening with the pirate nation, you know, like like what's what's the deal with that? Right. Why is the pirate? How? I mean, it makes sense. Why is a pirate nation able to function? And when the new republic can't. Right. Like, well, why? Perhaps because the pirate nation is honest about what it's trying to accomplish. Also, why? People, why weren't the know? clones better defended? Who who yeah. who approved the uh, five <laughs> force field room? You know, like what what tactical expert from the, the remnants of the old imperial security apparatus approved this? <laughs> and thought it was <laughs> thought it was a good idea why was this not subjected to you know review before it was uh before it was implemented why do you if you have a fancy dark suit 
why don't you uh, put yourself in front of your clones, which are so uh, important to protect and not, you know, and not behind them. Like, I think some of the action was good as action, but there were, you know, there were sort of plot holes. But I, you know, I don't care. I, I, I still don't know really what is the way, right? Like, yeah, Pete, I love your, I love your idea of a limited series set in the, uh, in the Pizza the Hut Pirate Empire. You know, <laughs> I just, I just feel like that's a wonderful, uh, I feel like that's a wonderful thing. Kind of like I liked the, the, uh, the thing about the Tuscan Raiders, right? Like it's a, it's a nice, you know, I don't know, like, um, uh, side, side, it's a, it's a nice thing that, that you can explore. I think, but I think part of this is like, oh, they've, uh, we've kind of like gone, we've gone through some ideas of what, um, we've gone through some ideas of what like the Mandalorian is and, and the show really doesn't have it's, it's pulling its punches because it doesn't really know where its heart is, or it doesn't really know what it is. Right. Like movies are in general about a, a, a thing happening, right? Like our, our, and the reason like hero's journey stuff became so, um, uh, influential among American movie writers or people who sort of, you know, think about, about that kind of stuff, um, is because like a, a lot of like American cinema is about like a big, a big thing happens, you know, and, um, TV shows are not, not like that. American television anyway. TV shows are about hanging out with the people you like. And that's, you know, that's different, right? Like there's a reason that Tom Cruise is running and not sitting around. Mm hmm. Yeah. So think- like putting putting Star Wars TV shows like you have a lot of tough questions to answer. I'm not the first person to observe this, but like you have a lot of tough questions to answer with this like uh super operatic like highly teological teleological um you know nine movie uh extravaganza you ha- you have a lot of of um questions to to answer in terms of how do you squeeze a tv show which is about hanging out with the people you like into that right and like the the you know without without it all being like oh this is actually really all about luke skywalker you know or this is all yeah. about the um those things and like the the I've got an answer for you, Matt. How, stuff I is it for. is it Andor? Is the answer Andor? Yes, yes, the answer is Andor. <laughs> okay, the answer, okay. the answer is is Loki. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, okay, do you want me to tell you how how the answer is uh, Andor? Please. Okay, so like you know, put away all the space wizards and this, that, and the other, right? Um, Andor boils it down to, hey, the state of thing or of affairs is a police state, and people should be resisting that. So how does that look like? How are people hanging out in the police state in two, really two settings that are very important? One is um, the, the main setting, the planet, uh, where most of the action happens and where there's, um, uh, well, no, I'm not going to spoil it. Um, it kind of where, it's, where the show starts and where the show ends. And the other one is very notably inside of a penal colony slave labor operation run by said police state. And you get to get a real sense of the people hanging out there what the rules are like, what the society is like, uh, and how characters react uh, fairly realistically, I would say, given, you know, uh, it's set in Star Wars um, to sets of uh, very difficult circumstances. Um, And the characters are very compelling. And for all those reasons, that's why Andor is the answer to the problem you posed. However, it introduces a new problem. Which is? That the Space Wizard stuff is actually really fun. And so if you want to make stuff about that, you can't use that solution. You have to come up with a different solution. 
So, Fair. but it, so Andor was great, and Andor was great um, at doing that. I think, I think Andor and stripping away a lot of the stuff that ungrounds the Star Wars stories is able to tell a story that lasts for long enough, like problems that are thorny and difficult enough that it actually takes like six or eight hours of TV to solve them. Whereas, like you know, the entire Empire in Star Wars, you know, it you know it can collapse in like forty five minutes if the right set of events happen um, because of all of the magic. Um, whereas I think Mandalor- Mandalorian, they made a choice. They made a choice in this season that Mandalorian was going to be the, the father son show, you know, and the people that you hang out are going to be Din Djarin and, and Grogu and that it's going to be their adventures as they like go in their little spaceship around the way, the way. Um, and that this was kind of a betrayal of the second season, which was also very, which was very much about that, but which had an end, right? And like, and and this season didn't even come, bother to come up with a grounded way of reestablishing the relationship. It just sort of like said, "Look, we can't do this show without Baby Yoda. They should just call the show Baby Yoda. It's the Baby Yoda show. We got it. We're not going to do. We're not going to do like a next season of Family Matters. Urkel never comes back because of the horrible thing he did in Carl Winslow's living room, right? Like Urkel has to be on the show, right? Like it's not an option." Like we need to go get Urkel, but Urkel's off training with Luke Skywalker, and like that that thing with Carl. I mean, their relationship would just be absurd. And it's like I don't care. Get me Urkel. Put him on the soundstage. No, right? um, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, by, by the way, had, I, I would be remiss if I didn't um, uh, just call out specifically. This absolutely a Bluey reference. It's Bluey reference where a character gets a a, a a little little toy, and you push a button, and it says yes, and you push a button, and it says no. And it could not possibly be a reference to anything or anything else. And it's delightful. I, just, <laughs> I, was, I was cackling. I was, I was, I was, yeah. I was besides myself. Yeah. But then I think, I think what the season tried to do is it tried to introduce Bo-Katan as this sort of original additional person we were supposed to care about, mm-hmm. but yeah. it didn't integrate Bo-Katan into the family. Um, even though the tableau at the end of the season has Bo-Katan inside the, we are Groot bubble. And it's the sort of little family of the parents and the kid. Oh, geez, and the idea, some, yeah. are, what's up? Are, are, are Din, Jarn and, Bo-Katan's supposed to get together, and then she's going to be mommy to Baby Yoda? No, They're not gonna do no, that, no, 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 no. Well, that's not what happens in the story, but the point is that, like, so much of the show is invested in Bo-Katan, but the show has already made the decision that it's about this parental and kid relationship as this, like, parent and kid, like, jaunt about the stars, and that's how it's going to be something you come back to every week. It's it's the anti—well, no, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to spoil something else. Um, but the point being that, like, they just, they decided that was really important, and that dynamic is something that we want to carry forward in the show. And then it introduces Bo-Katan as this major character, but it gives her an entirely different set of social relationships, and it doesn't feel like—it doesn't feel like they belong in the same show. Um, you right. know, like, like, and that's, and that's kind of a—I think that's kind of a problem for what Matt's talking about, which is, like, let's say you did want to make— seven seasons of the mandalorian right and for a yes. lot of it it's just like the man it's just like din Djarin is taking din grogu out on his like uh to fight the imperial remnants on the outer rim as part of his training and every year he gets a little older and at one point he gets a mustache you know like or whatever happens um and that's the show from this point on like we had the two season arc where their relationship is established and then you have like a, a monster of the week kind of adventure show from there on out why is bo katan in it if her end goal is to live on an entirely different planet, being like in charge of the military and government apparatus of that planet. And, and his job right. is to like fly around in the spaceship with his kid. And why go like, through all this trouble of reuniting the Mandalorian people, uh, retaking their home planet in Mandalore and then have the titular Mandalorian not live on that planet. If you're yes. going, if, if you're going to have Grogu stay in the show, right? Like a totally yeah. other, totally respectable direction would be Grogu goes with Luke 
right? Yep. Like goes into Jedi training, whatever. And then this, and then now we have another kind of like mythological narrative that's going to take us two seasons or or something like that. Yeah. But I think it was, I think Baby Yoda is too popular, you know, for yeah. Grogu to to go away. And I wonder at what point. Like they figured that out. Like I kind of wonder what point in the first season was it clear that, uh, you know, that baby Yoda, who was not yet named Grogu, was the best Star Wars character that had been created in like four decades. Yeah. Uh, and that, right. Like that, that Eight was, lion. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that like, um, uh, you know, that that like, and that. I mean, I t- love Count Dooku. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I liked uh, General Grievous, um, yeah. but the, <laughs> I like the way the lightsabers spin. But uh, yeah, that this was right that that and that you would be just slaughtering your cash cow uh, if you if you you'd be slaughtered before it could give you any blue milk, you know, uh, and that 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 would be like a, a terrible a terrible thing to do. Also, like Butch and Sunday, like buddy cowboy shows, you know, with kind of adventure stuff. Like, there's a template for that. That makes sense. That's a you know that's a legible genre that you could go uh, that is sort of Star Wars adjacent with like the galaxy as frontier that you could go do. Um, and and something like that and you know and that's okay but it seems like it's it's sort of switched uh it's sort of switched midstream um uh, a lot of stuff and and while i don't you know i don't know i feel like uh i watched uh i watched recently you know i put so for some for some kinds of work, like it's sometimes helpful to have a, a little TV show that I don't, don't have to pay attention to uh, playing in the corner. And I watched uh, the Night Agent in in its entirety recent recently. <laughs> the whole thing? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just had it I going. Even get through episode three. Yeah. I, I know. Well, I I didn't like. I was you know I was giving it about twenty percent attention while I did you know light administrative work and stuff like that. I find it helpful sometimes. Like you, you would listen to a podcast oh, yeah. or something, um, and I. So I, you know, I was doing that, and I, I, um, uh, and and I'll I'll take a bad season of Mando, you know, over the best <laughs> over the best moments of the Night Agent, uh, you know, every day and twice on Sunday. But that's like, you know, I, I guess that's a that's a low bar. I'm saying it's it's I'm I'm you know I'm still enjoying it. I just I you think of this, you, you think of its you think of the potential of. Uh, you think the the potential of some of this stuff and some of these extended universe type of things. And, and it's just, you know, weird that no one really wants to take, no one really wants to take a strong stand. You know, I, the, the, some of the strength of the better MCU stuff has been that it was, that a lot of it, you know, took a, took a stand, um, took a stand, uh, stylistically, you know, or, or like took a stand in terms of like an author, an authorial voice, directorial voice or something like that. I mean, it just doesn't seem like, it seems like the best moments of Mandalorian edge in that direction. We just don't get yeah. it enough. And you haven't watched Andor yet. So you don't, know I haven't watched Andor yet. No, yeah. no, no, no. Um, no, I, I, I was confused. I thought it was just, uh, the Mandalorian and, yes. uh, I didn't understand. <laughs> no, the the yeah, Andor is just the Mandalorian, but with the left and right sides of the screen cut off. It's just every <laughs> everything is just middle. <laughs> We're not going to improve on that. Let's leave it there. <laughs> thanks everybody for listening to us talk about Mandalorian season three. Mark Pete, thanks very much as always for uh, joining me on the way. This was the way. 
away. This was the podcast. Uh, we'll be back. We, we'd love to hear what you think. Uh, you know, so, eh, the comment section isn't really a thing anymore, but we have a Discord. You can email me, podcastoverthinkingit.com, if you want to join it. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll continue the conversation there. We'll be back next week with more of the show. This is fun. Uh, until then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, probably doesn't... doesn't Dessert. Dessert. So Make my soup out of those bones, man. <laughs>